Well, good morning. It is good to see each and every one of you. I hope you guys have had a great week. It is, um, it is just a great, it's just been a, it's been a busy week for many of us. I've t- talked to some of you. Um, it has been a hard week for others. Um, we, uh, we, we really kind of, uh, we, we lost someone dear that we loved in this church family this past week, and our hearts go to the families, um, and we are so thankful for um, for all uh, that uh, this um, really man of the saint, uh, this saint, <laughs> if I can call him that, um, there's no, someone that actually just served the Lord faithfully for so many years, and we're so thankful for him. But um, I hope you guys have had a great week. Welcome. Uh, this is going to be the conclusion of our three-week series on the crossroads. Um, I hope this has been as challenging for you as it has been for me. Um, it, it, God has taken uh, much of where we've gone, even these past two weeks, um, and, and I don't know about you, but he's pulled back a lot of layers on me. Um, there's been things in my heart that I realized that even preparing for this, um, I realized I was holding on to. Um, and, uh, and he brought me to places that, that I kind of didn't want to go. And I guess that's kind of the point of our Crossroads series. Um, and I'm thankful that he did that even in my own life. And, and so you guys, if you guys have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 27, which is where our main text is going to be this morning. But before we do that, I, 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 asked, um, I asked the team to kind of give me a chair this morning because this morning, I, the truth is, is I just want to kind of have a conversation. I, I just want to have a conversation this morning um, because I think we're family. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I think that this, this particular message um, really just kind of requires a family conversation. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever had that before. It's like where you sit down and dad's leading the charge, right? You know, sometimes it's after dinner and, and he sits down and says, all right, we're always going to sit down. And, and, uh, and, and I, I want you to really kind of come into this place because I think where God has us to go this morning is one of those conversations where it just needs to sit. You just need to, you need to meditate on maybe where God would have us to go as we conclude this particular series on the crossroads. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I've been asking over and over is, uh, and, and maybe you've been asking is, is, okay, our first weekend was the purpose of the crossroads. And God kind of laid out sort of a game plan, a skeleton of, you know, how to navigate the crossroads when we're there. And then last weekend, if you were with us, we talked about the failure, failure at the crossroads and, and how it's not our identity, but it's actually an invitation to intimacy and, and growth. And then, then this morning, you're probably asking, like I've been asking, Joel, where's this going? What's the destination of the crossroads. How does this thing, how does this thing end? Where is God ultimately taking you and taking me this morning? And God, God began to, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I began to wrestle. I began to wrestle this past week as I walked through where he wanted this thing to go. And, um, and he led me to two passages before we get to Matthew 27. Obviously, he, read, he led me back to our first passage, Jeremiah 6.16. And so I want to look at that real quick. Jeremiah 6, 16, it says this. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way, and then I want you to walk in it. And then travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest. And that, I love that word. Because the truth is, is, is when I look at my life, and I look at even this last week, or maybe some of you are looking at this past week, or, the, or goodness, even this morning, some of you, or maybe this past year or past two years, you know what I don't find? 
I don't find a lot of rest. I find actually a lot of, a lot of warring, a lot of searching, soul searching. I, I find a lot of, uh, of uncomfortable, um, moments in my life and life and experiences. And I, and I feel uneasy. And, and so all of a sudden, uh, as I'm reading this, God is saying, Hey, your destination, Joel, your destination, everyone that is, that is at the crossroads, your destination is rest for your souls, which means that Jeremiah is trying to explain to you and to me that guess what? I don't have rest. He's telling us that we don't have rest. And why don't we have rest? It means that we're at odds. We don't have peace with God. If I can say this, we are enemies of the universe. If I can, if I can really just paint the picture, we are enemies of the universe. We are enemies of our creator. How do I know that? Because when you read in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you know why I don't have rest? Why you don't have rest is, is because there is something inherently in us from birth that puts us at odds with God. There's something inherently in us that keeps us from knowing our God, understanding our God, walking intimately with our God. Our hearts, our souls are at war with God. And I wish I couldn't, I didn't have to say that. And maybe that's why this battle has happened to me this past week. Because even as I'm walking through this, I'm battling. You know what I'm battling against? I'm battling against, I'm battling against myself against God. I'm still wanting my way even while I'm walking through this. How sinful am I? How broken am I? It's in us. It is in me. And I kept going over and over and over. I'm like, I don't like that about me. I don't like that about me. So, but how do you put rest for your soul? What is that? What, what does that even mean? And then God led me to Matthew chapter 11. And you don't have to turn there either, but I'm going to put it on the screen. Matthew chapter 11. And this is what it says. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. How many of you are weary this morning? Anyone weary? I'm raising my hand. Carrying heavy burdens? Yeah. I think all of us in some way are. I mean, some of us maybe are at that point even this morning. And you're just, the only word that you can describe is I'm just done. I'm just done. I'm just, it's so heavy. Life is so heavy. And then all of a sudden he says, come, come all. That means everyone who are weary and heavy and carry a heavy burden. And then the, these exact words, I will give you rest. Wow. That's what I want. I, I want that rest. I, 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 I want to stay in that place. And then he says, take my yoke. And that yoke is that, is that beam, that, that oxen share. And, and, and that yoke, is, it, it goes over to that immature, that maybe that younger oxen on how to walk, how to move, how to maneuver, how to stay in the lines of life, how to journey. And, and Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble. And gentle at heart. And then here's the exact words from Jeremiah 16. And then you will find rest for your souls. Man, I want rest. I want rest. 
I don't want to be at odds with the God of the universe because you know what I, I know? I lose. <laughs> I lose. I, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what I bring to the table, I lose. It's like standing before the Grand Canyon going, I've got a doctorate and a PhD. You bring nothing to the table. Do you get that? Like you're looking at the Grand Canyon, it doesn't matter. It's like it, it, you bring nothing to the table when it comes to God. I lose that battle every time. I don't like that my soul and my heart wars against God. I don't want to be an enemy of the universe. I don't want to be an enemy of God. Oh God, bring me to that destination of rest. God, uh, and, and you tell me here as I'm reading this that Jesus, your son, is the one that brings that rest. Jesus brings that rest. And I want to be there. This person, you're saying, is he's capable of taking my heart, taking my life, freeing me from all strife. I mean, think about this. Freeing me from all battles that are raging in my heart and soul. I want to be there. I want to be in that place. I want to be in that space. All the power struggles between me and God. And he brings me into this unhindered, unhindered unrelenting peace rest rest now i love i love you know the little kids hey what'd you learn in sunday school today what'd you learn in class today and what do you get jesus right they just throw hey well what and you you know parents are trying to get more details what you listen and you kind of know sometimes the teachers tell you and all of a sudden you're like hey what would you what'd you get from class today and you want to talk about it and they're like jesus no it's just jesus dad just jesus mom and yeah and we're like well, yeah that's the right answer right here's the problem i think everyone walking in here today and maybe maybe you don't but i think everyone understands jesus is the answer Here's the problem. Everyone walking in here, I bet if I sat down with each of you, a ton of you would give me a def different definition about who Jesus is. When I go outside these doors, there are countless definitions. There are countless of ideas of who you think Jesus is. And so what we end up doing is, is we end up kind of going into this idea of, okay, Jesus is the answer, but what's your idea of Jesus? We got a wrong idea, wrong assumption about Jesus. And so what you do is, is you end up taking the things you like about Jesus and leaving off the rest. I, I like, listen, um, there, there's a couple things that, have, that I love, and, and I made it a small list. You know what? I like the fact that Jesus is my teacher. He's my self-help guru, right? He makes, he, he gives me what I need. He tickles my ears. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's that teacher. And so when you talk to people out there and you ask them who Jesus is, well, wasn't he a great teacher? Yeah, 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 he was, he's a great teacher. And, or, or maybe some of us really get stuck on the fact that he's our cosmic giver, our cosmic Santa Claus, right? And he just is supposed to give us everything that we need. See, we, we, we take the things that we like about Jesus and we leave off the rest. See, because a cosmic Jesus, I can get behind that Jesus. I can hang out with that Jesus. He gives me everything I want. Or, or maybe some of us say he's an earthly king and a, and a ruler. That's what the children of Israel saw him as. See, the children of Israel during that day were under the oppression of Rome. And they're like, hey, hey, free us from this oppression. 
These, this, this dic- dictator, that this, this ruling tyranny and of regime of Rome, we want to be free. And so they're looking for this earthly king. Some of us maybe just see Jesus as a miracle worker. Just work a miracle. Just give me the miracles. I'm, hey, I'm sick, God, so, oh, you, you, you heal me. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. You see, and so we plug and play Jesus how we want. But here's, here's the problem with that. It's the Bible. That's not the Jesus that the Bible really lays out. I'm not saying he isn't all these things because God can give whatever he wants. He can teach whatever he wants. He, can, he does rule and reign over all things and he is a miracle worker. But if you literally siphon God out to those one or two things, then you create a Jesus this small rather than this big. And this Jesus is incapable of doing anything for your heart and anything for your soul. And it will never lead you to where you need to go. And see, this is the reason why our destinations are always wrong. See, we think when we're at the crossroads, we choose our destinations. So when we have this fractured version of Jesus, you know what we get? We get a destination of, uh, of a, if Jesus would just give me a better government, Right? See, my Jesus, my Jesus in my mind, he's a patriot. And, and listen, can I just be honest? Be real careful about equating patriotism and Americanism with godliness and holiness. Be real careful about that. Now, I'm a patriot and I'm an American and I love this country. My dad served in the Marine Corps for 23 years. So don't, don't mishear me. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is, is I can be both an American and a patriot and not be godly. So don't start tying those two, uh, you know, uh, unbelievably together. But that's the, that's the Jesus sometimes we have in our, our mind. We fracture God. It, that Jesus validates the way I want to live and how I want to function. And, or, or maybe the destination uh, is an economic Jesus, a Jesus that, that satisfies all my needs. He's my cosmic giver, right? He just gives me, he fills my pockets gives me what I need, right? If I give, it's a give to get relationship. So if I give, if I throw some bucks in that offering plate, then he's going to, he's going to give, give it back tenfold, right? Yeah. We're not a prosperity gospel church. So hear me clearly. Okay. We don't run that way. All right. All right. Because the greatest gift and the greatest blessing is not necessarily financial, not necessarily economic. It is spiritual and it's eternal and it's found here, not here. Okay. I think our other destination sometimes is, man, Jesus is going to, he's going to work out all my relationships. And, and if my husband can just stop being a jerk, if my wife would just change, if, you know, if my, all my relationships, then, then that'd be great. Then my life, I will have arrived at the destination or some of us. And I think it's too common. Sometimes we think our destination from the crossroads is just making it to church every single Sunday. Man, that's my destination. If I can just get in a rhythm of doing this, then guess what? I'll arrive. Life will be better. Can I just be perfectly honest with you? If you were relying on me, this church, um, every Sunday morning to make you more godly, to make you more like him, can I just say you won't get there? This is not enough. This is not enough. You know what's enough is finding a a residence on these and beginning to dive into this unlike you ever have before and let God devour you. That's, That's where you find intimacy. That's where you begin to see Jesus in a real way. So how does this Jesus, this real Jesus bring us rest? How does he bring it to us? 
See, we're on Palm Sunday, and you know what Palm Sunday is? It's, it's this time in Matthew 21 where Jesus comes through, through the city. And you know what? Early before, he kept telling people to be quiet. No, not this time. Jesus decides to announce in full declaration exactly who he is. But as he's walking, or as he's riding through on this unridden donkey, people are screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which actually means, and even our el- one of my elders reminded us again this morning, that it means, save me, save me. Hosanna, save me. They're literally screaming, save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Now, but they were looking for um, uh, deliverance from the Roman government. They just wanted a physical earthly king. That's all that they were looking for. They weren't looking for someone to actually rule their heart. That, they, again, they had their version of their Jesus in their mind. They, which is why we see, as we, we talk about later on this morning, why they were so sorely disappointed and changed their tune real quick. They changed their tune real quick because it, it was a disappointed version of what they were expecting. It was a disappointed version of what they had in their mind, what they had in their heart. So there's two things before we dive into to Matthew 27. Two things you need to understand. Jesus was two, was two primary things. He was the greatest person that ever lived. He impacted earth. He impacted history. Whether you're a believer or not, scholars across the board will tell you he impacted history in ways that no other man ever has nor ever will. It changed the course of time as we know it. Jesus did that. But you know the second thing, and this is for us even here this morning as we're talking family. He was the greatest example. He was our model. You want to know, you want to know how, how to live in this life? You want to know how to think in this life? You want to know how to make decisions in this life? You want to know what path to follow? The destination of the crossroads? Look at Jesus. He modeled it. And he's going to show us this morning exactly where that destination is. So look at Matthew chapter 27 with me. And follow along with me. It's going to be here on the screen if you don't have it. Follow along with me. Matthew chapter 27 starting in verse 27. This... This is our greatest example. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and and they put a scarlet robe on him and that, that color was used to signify royalty. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it into his head and they placed a reed stick in the right hand as a scepter and those thorns were two to three inches long and they were thick. So imagine digging nails into the head. They weren't some small, you know, uh, you know desert, desert thorn bush that we're talking about here. We're talking about thick thorns being jammed into the skull of Jesus And they knelt before him in mockery and they taunted him, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they spit on him and they grabbed the stick and they struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off his robe and they put on his clothes again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Verse 33 And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And the soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall. But when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. And and, and real quick, they used that that mixture as a a kind of a painkiller. But Jesus rejected it because he wanted to be present and feel everything that was about to transpire. After they nailed him to the cross, 
The soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and they kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. This was his charge. It read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. The two revolutionaries uh, were were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse. Weren't they just screaming Hosanna just a couple of days ago? Save me. Shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. Then the leading priests and the religious, the teachers of the religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we'll believe in him. He trusted God. So let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. Then Jesus shouted out again. Jumping down to verse 50. Then Jesus shouted out again. And he released his spirit. And at that moment in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and the tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Heavenly Father, oh God, show us rest. God, I, I, I don't want to wage war against you anymore. I don't want to be at odds with you anymore. God, teach us in this moment. Show us in this moment. Let your example be the the path that we follow to lead us to that final destination, that place that led you to eventually freeing us for all eternity. God, we love you. We thank you. Give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Every crossroads, if Matthew 27 is true, which it is. Every crossroads always ends at the cross. Always. Why why do I say that? Why do I say that every crossroads always ends at the cross? Well, let's just take a look at the cross for a second. What's the destiny of the cross? I mean, the cross is the place where things and people go to die. I mean, that's just the, I mean, Just look at the cross. It is the place where things and people go to die. The young, the old, the rich, the poor, boy, girl. It doesn't matter who you are. It's no respecter of person. It is not biased towards any one kind of person. It is the place where things and people go to die. If you were placed on that cross, the question is not if you would die. It's when. You know why I know that? Because the Romans, they were pro at a lot of things. And one of the things they were professional at was killing. They were good at it. They knew how to kill a person multiple different ways. And this was extreme torture. And they know how to, they knew with precision and detail that if you were crucified just about that, almost at that point of when you were dead, And if you were placed on that cross, 
it was always for the payment of some consequence. There was always a verdict of guilt placed on you somehow. The cross, the destiny of the cross, and why Jesus led us there, and why the cross is so significant, is because it's the place where things and people go to die. When you arrive at the cross, you're not going there to set up a kingdom. You're not going there to rule and reign. See, that's what we want. That's the Jesus that we paint. I want to get to the destination of where I'm king. I want to be at the destination of where I rule. I want to be the destination where I come out on top. But that's not the example that Jesus led us to. Jesus led us to the place of where you go to die. And this is so backwards for our world. This is so hard to understand. We don't like that outcome, which is why many of us are enemies of Jesus. Because he doesn't speak my language. He doesn't, he doesn't validate the Jesus I want. Wait a second. See, when we really understand Jesus, when we begin to understand his life, how he lived, how he died, you understand that it's almost backwards to what the world teaches it's so upside down. Wait a second, to be first, I have to be last? Okay, that just doesn't, that's weird. To be greatest among all, I have to be servant to all? Uh, to live, I have to die? No, I don't like that language. I don't want that message. That's not the message that I want. That doesn't sit well with me, Joel. But yet this is the example that our Savior set for you and for me. It's the place where everything about you, everything about me, goes to die. Which is why we read in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, verse 30. It's not up here. This is why he says, I, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. See, the only way for God, the only way for Jesus to become greater and greater in your life is so that things die to make room for God to become greater and greater. Because we're going to continue to white knuckle and cling on to those things that we feel like we have to have. I've got to have this, Joel. I need this in my life. I need this job. I need this relationship. I need this economic boost. I need this kind of government. I need this kind of thing and this. And we fill in the blanks and we create all of our own destinations. And we're constantly being disappointed. And God goes, no, I have to become greater and greater. You have to become less and less. You have to die. You have to die. I've got to die. That's the destination that Jesus is painting here. And look, hey, when you're at the cross, it's not some pretty thing. I know some of you have seen the passion of the Christ, but let me help you understand the devastation of the cross because this is death. This is death. Jesus gets on the Via Della Rosa after the verdict of guilt is placed on him. And I've walked the Via Della Rosa. It's in the inner city of Jerusalem. And you're walking down this path and it's close quarters. And imagine people are spitting and taunting him and calling him names and cursing him and kicking him and punching him. I mean, it was this, this ravenous mob, this same mob that was going, you're Jesus. See, you're Jesus. Jesus, uh, save me, save me. See, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And I think a lot of us here in church know about him, but don't know him. There's a huge difference. And I think a lot of people in the crowd knew about him, had an idea of him, but they didn't know him because otherwise they wouldn't have been taunting that way. 
But Jesus is walking this road and then all of a sudden this 90 pound beam estimated is on his shoulders after being torn, a pe- torn to pieces on his back by a cat of nine tails. And he bled out already so much and he's trying to walk this road to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And he finally gets up there after all the taunting, after everything getting up there and he's laid down on this piece of wood. And he's, uh, he's literally, his arms are extended as far as they can. So understand me, there's not a whole lot of room there. But just about as far as they can. And, and the six inch, half inch nails that they use are driven through his wrists and then through his ankles. And, and in order to hold him, a lot of the time they would turn, they would turn him sideways. And then they would, they would jam the nail through that they, so they only had to use one. And then they would flip the cross over on the face and that they would bend down the other, the other nails in order to secure the victim on the cross. And then they hoisted this cross that Jesus was on and it drops down in this hole that's two to three feet deep in order to stabilize uh, the cross so it remains vertical. And it's at that point that you begin to die. It's at that point that Jesus began to die. And, and you're hanging there and the, the, the challenge is, is using every muscle that you have in order to pull up, in order to, to catch a breath. And it wasn't so much uh, getting a breath as much as exhaling, because when you drop down, it actually constricts your lungs. And so fluid begins to build up in your lungs. And over time of you doing that, eventually you're going to run out of strength. And then your muscles begin to spasm. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, um, towards, towards the end, towards his last, last breath, the victim on that cross would then begin to asphyxiate and suffocate and die in his own fluids. And that is the death of the, by crucifixion. And I want you to understand the devastation. And I want you to, to look at it dead on because I want you to know that there's something powerful in this moment that is happening. There's something powerful in this moment that Jesus is doing for you and for me and for us and for all mankind from the beginning of time all the way to the end of time. It's devastating to see and read about what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, sometimes I don't even like looking at it, but nonetheless, this is the example that Jesus set for us. But why is this our destination? Why is it the cross? I don't understand. Then we read, then we read, this is why the destination is the cross. In verse 50, when you look at verse 50 again, it says this, then Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. In verse 51, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This 60 foot tall, 20 foot wide, four inch thick curtain. This is not some paper thin curtain. This is this thick, the girth of this curtain was massive. They estimated it weighed hundreds and hundreds of pounds. This was the curtain that was torn in two. And this curtain was meant to separate 
the holy place from the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was it was to separate man from god there was a dividing dividing means by which we did not have access to god we did not have the consistent presence of god because why guess what we're enemies of god and it's called sin and it divides us and it keeps us from him and our sin keeps bringing us to wrong destinations and it keeps bringing us to, to places that we don't want to go and we're exhausted and we're continuing to war with god because we want our way i want my way in this message i even wanted my way god forgive me i don't want my way i want your way i want jesus's way And he brings us to this place where he says, all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can't, you see that curtain? You can't get through that curtain. You can try, you can work for it. But it says that anyone traditionally that would go in there and that was not clean, guess what, would die immediately. Which is why the high priest that would go in there had a rope wrapped around him, just in case. Did you have a bad week? Oh, I don't know if you want to go in there. <laughs> but you would die immediately if you, were, if you were unclean when you walked in there. So think about this. Our Savior, he says, look, you know why I bring you to the cross and why this is your destination every time? Is is because the, the wages of sin is death. The price tag of sin, he goes, your sin has a price tag. And it's death. Someone has to die. Someone has to shed blood in order for there to be the remission of sins. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Someone has to die. This is why Jesus, who is our example, who was the lamb, spotless lamb of God, this is why he had to die. And so, at the end of the day, though, God ended up showing up for us even when we didn't show up. God ended up showing up for us even when we were mocking him. And this is how incredible our God is. You ready? Romans chapter 6 verses 5 through 11 gives us the greatest message. This greatest thought. It says, since we have been united with him in his death. If I just stop there. Since we've been united with him. So that very, those very couple words, all of a sudden Jesus goes, you know what? I'm not going to let you walk your path. I'm going to walk your path. And so when you're standing at the crossroads here, even this morning, guess what? Jesus goes, you're not capable of walking my path. You're not capable of doing this. You're going to fail every time. So I'm going to marry your life into mine. I'm going to take your life into mine. I'm going to take your sin into mine. And you know what? God is going to hold me, the son of God, accountable for your sin, for your failure. And then Jesus all of a sudden begins to walk this path all the way to the cross. So what ends up happening is, is we find that Jesus walks our path to Golgotha. Jesus walks and he takes our ridicule and our mocking. Understand, this should be us. 
Do you realize it? We should have been the one on the Via Della Rosa. We should have been the one walking this journey. That's our path. That's not his. Jesus, get off that path. I, I, this is my path. And he goes, no. This is the path that I need to walk. I'm your substitute. I'm your redemption. So Jesus begins to walk this on our behalf. And he begins to, to suffer and endure our pain. And he begins to receive our rejection. And then he adopts our death as his own. And then guess what? He was buried in my tomb. My tomb. Your tomb. He was buried. And he shouldn't have been. But I'm so thankful he did. I'm so thankful Jesus did. Because had he not, then I would be eternally separated. You would be eternally separated from God. But that's the reason why the crossroads always ends at the cross. It's the place where I, you, go to die. To stop trying our own destinations. To stop trying our own things. To come to this place and realize, I can't do it. I can't accomplish anything on my own. It is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so he did what you could not do. And he brings you there. And so all of a sudden, guess what goes to die at the cross? My strength, my will, my path, my way, my salvation, all of that, he goes, that's what needs to die there so that Jesus might live in you and in me. That's, what, that's, why, that's why the destination of all crossroads is the cross. And this is why Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verses 14, he says, look, uh, as for me, as for me, may I never boast about anything else. Except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. I don't even, I don't even desire it anymore. It, it, it no longer holds captive in my life. It doesn't, it doesn't contain me. And then he says, and the world's interest in me has also died. The world won't even want you. Praise God. Praise God. You know why? Because I have got a better home. I've got a better, I've got a better home and it's called heaven. And I get, I get to spend eternity with the creator of the universe who designed me, designed you. He made you in his image. This is how much he loves you. So it doesn't matter all the failures. It doesn't matter how you've stumbled and walked. It doesn't matter all these different things. God has led you to this crossroads so that you can marry your life and be united with Jesus in this moment. So that he can do and come you to this place of where you're standing before this veil, this curtain. And Jesus, all of a sudden, the moment he dies, that curtain is torn in two, separating. And guess what? I got full access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I've got Jesus. I've got God. There's no separation. I don't need a mediator. Guess what? I can go boldly into the throne room of God. And when God looks at me. No matter how I performed last week or the week before, or the day before, or the hour before, he looks at me and he goes, forgiven, righteous, I love you, I delight in you, you have total access, not because you, but because everything I see about you is my son. My son did what you could not. Think about this. This is the destination of the crossroads. And every day, I'm so thankful he brings me to that. And he brings me to that place where more things about me die so that he becomes bigger and bigger and I become less and less. That's 
You want to know what rest is? That's rest. I don't need... I don't need to perform. I don't need to perform. I don't need to be something that I'm not. I just need to be the broken, sinful me. Coming to the cross. It's the only thing I have to boast about. It's the only thing that any of us have to boast about. And then he said, my God goes, hey, come on in. Come on, hey, come on, it's family time. Just sit down. Let's talk. Let's, let's spend some time together. Let me journey with you. You're not alone. You never have been. So wherever you are this morning, some of you need rest. And it starts at the foot of the cross.